we go, everybody. Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Tuesday, December 8th, 2020. That, of course, the late, great John Lennon with the ballad of John and Yoko. Fitting that, uh, sadly, it is 40 years ago today that uh, John Lennon was murdered in front of his apartment on Central Park West in front of the Dakota. And uh, so I thought it would be fitting to uh, to play a little John Lennon to start the show. I know it's a little uh, a little morbid, but um, in any event, I also you listen to the lyrics of that song, somewhat eerily uh, prescient, right? Um, but in any event, we've got a big show to get to. Football centric, lots of happenings going on in the league. Things are are getting interesting. Things are getting exciting. Um, as always, and I'll, I'll admit I'm guilty of this too, uh, forget to uh, remember sometimes that it is a long season because five weeks in, the big joke were the New York Giants at 0-5 and the Jets at 0-5. The Washington football team also was a joke. The whole NFC East was a joke. Um, the Lions were a joke. And now, after Patricia and Bob Quinn fired a rousing, improbable come-from-behind victory in Chicago last week. Now listen, the Bears are terrible. They've been terrible all year. They stunk when they were 5-1, and one, and they stink now. The defense isn't bad, but that offense is horrendous. They got lucky to beat the Lions in Week 1. They got lucky to beat the Falcons. They got lucky to beat the Giants. They they were five and one. They probably should have been one and five, at best two and four. So them losing six in a row. This is not like some great collapse. It's shocking. Bears aren't any good. Coach is lousy. The offense is lousy. Quarterback can can only play well. Trubisky can only play well against the Lions, and he did it again this last week, by the way. But in Daryl Bevel's first game as a coach. The Lions is something they can never do under Matt Patricia, and that's beat the Bears. So put one in the plus column for Daryl Bevel. A couple of interesting facts about Daryl Bevel. So, yes, he infamously was the offensive coordinator for the Seahawks when they called the pass play down basically at the one-foot line in the Super Bowl against the Patriots five years ago that cost them the Super Bowl. Um he also, though, is the all-time leading passer in the University of Wisconsin. Now, as you've, if you've ever listened to my show and you've ever listened to me talk about college football, you know that I know that Wisconsin is not exactly a throwing team. But, and even in today's you know, pass-happy sport, even in, on the college level, they still don't throw it around that much. But, given the fact that teams do throw it a lot more now than they did even then, he, I believe he graduated in 95, um... It's still somewhat impressive. I mean, look, Wisconsin, again, it's a major Division I college football program, Big Ten. Uh, you're the all-time leading passer there. That's pretty good. Now, he got no offers at all to play in the NFL. I mean, was not a pro prospect, but I thought that was interesting. Um, went to a small liberal arts uh, college in Iowa to be a coach. Then uh, managed to get on as an assistant in Green Bay when Brett Favre was there. And move him way, his way up to be quarterback coach, uh, I guess under Holmgren and 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 Brett Favre, and so uh, formed a really tight bond with Brett Favre. Brett Favre's a big fan of his, um, 
A couple of things he did differently already from Patricia is, I mean, the first thing he said when he addressed the team was, look, guys, let's just go out and have fun. Just play with your hair on fire. Don't worry about mistakes. Don't worry about the scoreboard. Just go out in there and play like when you were 10 years old and just have fun. Shorten up practice. Let the guys play music. You know, seemingly inc- seemingly inconsequential things, perhaps. But if you ever played a sport in your life, an organized team sport, I don't care what level it was. I don't care if it was JV football, JV baseball, volleyball, basketball, whatever. If you had a coach that you hated and then you played for a coach that you liked, remember back to that time how much different your mindset was, how much more positive you were, how much more excited you were to play. I remember I went through it. JV baseball, hated my coach, hated the coach, he hated me. I still played well, still could hit. But I remember for some reason he couldn't coach us for one game and one of the other guys in the athletic department who was our head swim coach, uh, Eddie Ruck, sweetheart of a guy, took over for that day. And I just remember even that day just being so much happier that Eddie Ruck was the coach. So imagine if you're a pro football player and you've been dealing with the joyless, browbeating, overbearing tool, basically, that Matt Patricia was. And now you've got Daryl Bevel, who's the polar opposite, seemingly, by all indications, Right? I think you're going to be a little, you're going to have a little extra pep in your step. And certainly, look, the interesting thing was the Lions got off to a pretty pretty bad start. Uh, the defense, mostly because of the defense. I mean, the defense, and look, Darrell Bevel can be a positive guy all he wants, and it looks like he's going to free Stafford up a little bit. Uh, lines through the ball downfield a lot more in that one game than they had probably in the whole time Patricia's been here. Um... So, you know, because Patricia wants to win with an archaic, outdated style of football, which is, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust and and defense, which the Lions have a terrible defense. So, and maybe that was also part of the reason why Stafford was kind of slinging the ball all over the place is the Lions were down, you know, by double digits, although not by a huge amount. Um, And we're going to get to that in a second, by the way, this idea that, you know, being down 14 points with six minutes left is somehow insurmountable. It's not. Used to be. 30 years ago, maybe, you never saw teams come back from, from deficits like that. Now it's fairly routine because of the way the game is played. Um, but Daryl Bevel can't make up for the fact that Bob Quinn is drafted terribly, signed terrible free agents, particularly on defense. Particularly on defense. Offense, not as much. And again, he inherited the quarterback, who's really good. We all know that. And by the way, this idea that the Lions need to, again, blow this team up and start fresh at quarterback next year is idiotic beyond belief. Idiotic beyond belief. You get a good good coach and a good GM in here, make a couple of good moves. Not, not You don't have to even make a ton. Couple of difference makers on defense, which can be done, by the way, in the draft and through free agency. And his team can be at least competitive. And again, Stafford's going to be 33 next year. That's not old anymore. Roethlisberger's, what, 37 coming off ACL surgery? I mean, uh, not ACL surgery. I think Tommy John surgery on his elbow, right? Drew Brees is, what, 38? Phillip Rivers, I mean, Brady's 43. Rodgers is 37. 
These guys play well into their 30s now. If I told you right now that Stafford's going to give you, after this year, three more premium seasons, would you take that? Yeah, I think you would. Yeah, 100% would. And by the way, for the Lions fans out there, it's funny. The rest of the league, be it coaches, players, general managers, people to follow the league, they all know how good Matthew Stafford is. They all know he's been on junk teams for the majority of his career. So this idea that a new GM is gonna won't take the Lions job because he's gonna be somehow quote unquote saddled with Matthew Stafford and not have a top three pick of Trevor Lawrence or, you know, whoever the next great flavor of the month is Zach Wilson from BYU or the kid from North Dakota State or Justin Fields from Ohio State uh, is is asinine. It's asinine. This is not some broken down past his prime Joe Namath in uh, you know, a Rams uniform. Matthew Stafford's still got at least three good years left, if not more. Put a damn good team around him. But anyway, getting back to the, the game on Sunday. So the Lions defense is bad. I mean, it's just bad. I mean, when you look at the misses that Bob Quinn has had, and I hate to keep harping on this, but, I mean, people need to understand. The Lions had the worst linebacking core in the league, and not even close. And that's because he drafted Jared Davis in the first round. He drafted Jelani Tavai in the second round when nobody thought that guy was a second-round pick. Nobody except Bob Quinn. No one except for Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia thought that Jelani Tavai was anything more than a fifth, sixth-round pick. Defensive line ain't any good. Save for maybe Romeo Aquara. And I'll give Bob Quinn credit. He got Everson Griffin for, for basically, you know, for a sixth round pick from Dallas. Everson Griffin ain't great, but he gives you some juice here and there. He had a sack Sunday. He gives you some QB pressures. He plays hard. He's not what he once was when he was in his prime with the Vikings, but at least he's not terrible. But the Lions linebackers are awful. Tavai stinks. Jared Davis stinks. Jamie Collins, who they overpaid because he's a former Patriot, stinks. Christian Jones doesn't do much of anything. Lions linebackers are awful. Worst, worst unit in the league by far. Secondary and any good either. Desmond Trufant, who they signed to replace Slay, was hurt most of the time. And then when he did play, wasn't any good. He's on injured reserve. He's out. Um... Amani Orwarie, pretty good. Not great, pretty good. He's made, put it this way, he's improved markedly from his rookie year to this year. Uh, nobody's confusing him with Richard Sherman just yet. He's a decent player. Okuda, the rookie, has struggled mightily. Not, not, not surprising at all. That's to be expected. And now he's hurt. Although he might be back this week. We'll see. Daryl Roberts, who they signed from the Jets. He's one of these guys that he's, he's around the ball all the time, never makes a play. Justin Coleman, who Bob Quinn gave, ridiculously gave the highest contract, biggest contract to a slot corner in the league, is lousy. Guy never makes a play. I mean, he that guy gives up more catches than anybody I've ever seen. Awful. And the safeties aren't any good either. Deron Harmon isn't any good. J. Ron Curse isn't any good. And and this is the most damning thing. Both those guys are, are scrap heap, sort of retread guys. And... They have two third-round picks in the last two years on the roster, and Tracy Walker 
and Will Harris, and neither of those guys can start because neither of those guys are any good. And by the way, Tracy Walker's probably the best of the bunch, but for some reason he's fallen out of favor with the coaching staff, so now he doesn't even play that much anymore. And Lions fans want to anoint this guy, and so does the Detroit media, by the way. I don't understand why the Kyle Menkes of the world and the Justin Rogers of the world, the Dave Burkett's of the world. I have no idea. What games have you watched for the last three years? Can you give me two, three good plays Tracy Walker's made, game-changing plays? Because there aren't any. You can't because there aren't any. I know he looks good in his uniform, and occasionally he flashes some potential, but this idea that he's some emerging star is asinine. He's not. Another guy that was overdrafted, by the way. So the Lions defense has major problems, and that's not getting better anytime soon. Now, they may get Trey Flowers back, who, again, is good, not great, but that's better than what they got. Um, you know, hopefully they're going to get Galladay back. Hopefully they're going to get Swift back on offense. So maybe they could outscore some teams here. But really, if you're a Lions fan, this is sort of a no-lose situation. Because you can go back to rooting for the team now. That Quinn and Patricia are gone. And so if by some miracle they win out and make the playoffs, that'll be thrilling. And then, by the way, that'll be very interesting. Because then I think Daryl Bevel absolutely deserves to be uh, genuinely considered for the head coaching job. And if they don't win out, Let's say they lose out, and they could. They've got a tough schedule, right? They've got Green Bay this week. They've got Tennessee. They've got the Vikings, and they've got Tampa Bay. Not in that order. It's Green Bay, Tennessee, Tampa Bay the day after Christmas on national TV on the NFL Network, and then Minnesota to wrap up the year. I mean, all four of those games are tough games. So the Lions could easily lose out, right? Be 5-11, and 11 and get a top 10 draft pick and have obviously somebody new in here to do it. So it's really a no-lose situation. Another interesting uh, note here, Nate's uh, Mike Silver, who uh, is an uh, NFL reporter, writer, reporter. He's on, um, he's on the show on the NFL Network every Monday called The Aftermath. Apparently, uh, he reported on Monday that he spoke to an unnamed line assistant, obviously the guy didn't want to put his name out there, that said, you watch. Now that the dictator is gone, watch how we play. We'll probably win out. <laughs> that's how someone hated Matt Patricia was. But again, Daryl Bevel's not fixing this defense. Corey Unlin, the defense coordinator, is not fixing this defense anytime soon. I mean, again, they, they made Mitchell Trubisky look like a good NFL quarterback. The guy stinks. He's a terrible quarterback. They let David Montgomery, who's as pedestrian as they come, look good. Now, to be fair, they had a horrible first half. They actually played much better in the second half. They got four three and outs, got a huge turnover when Okwara sacked Trubisky after Stafford drove the Lions 96 yards, 95 yards in about two minutes to get them to within three. And then Okwara had the strip sack on third and four. Why the Bears are throwing there? I have no idea. By the way, prior to that, this is how bad a coach um, this, uh, what's this guy, what's the Bears coach name again? Matt Nagy. This is how bad a coach Matt Nagy is. So first of all, the Lions go right down the field. 
right? Stafford misses his first pass, then goes six for his next six. All right, look, Stafford's done this to a million teams. I'm not going to put that on the Bears coaching staff. And their defense is supposed to be great. You know what? Make a stop. But Stafford did what Stafford does. Amendola, to be fair, I've been hard on him at times. Made a great diving catch. Hits Marvin Jones for a 25-yard touchdown. Boom. Bears, lines are going to kick off now to the Bears with two minutes and about eight, and 18 seconds left. And the Lions have all three timeouts, which means they have four opportunities to stop the clock, right? They're going to get the two-minute warning stop and three timeouts. There's no earthly way that the Lions are going to do anything other than kick it deep or pooch kick it to try to keep it out of Corderell Patterson's hands because he had had uh, a big return against them earlier in the game. But they're not onsides kicking at all. So what do the Bears do? Do they put Corderell Patterson back? No. They put... Um, this rookie receiver, I forget his name, kid from uh, Tulane back there. Lines kick it deep. The guy gets the ball. Lines coverage is pretty good. Then he kind of like slides down at like the 11-yard line. So now the Bears are starting with terrible field position. They run the ball first down. Lines actually do a pretty good job. They go to pass on second down. Trubisky pulls it down and runs, only gets a few yards. So now it's third and four. But the clock's running. Right? Uh, no, actually, let me think. That got it down to the two-minute warning. So now it's third down. Rather than run the ball and maybe try to get a first down, right? Um, because if you throw there and it's incomplete, then the Lions have all their timeouts. Uh, if you throw there and get sacked... Lions just call timeout. Now you're backed up by your own goal line. And the Lions are going to get excellent field position, right? Seemingly. Probably no worse than the 45, their own 45. But Nagy calls a pass play. Again, this is Mitchell Trubisky. Now, I understand he had played well against the, he plays well against the Lions. But he's not a good quarterback. Anyway, Romeo Okara, give him credit. The guy made an unbelievable, almost superhuman effort of a play. Like, left his feet, leapt in the air, almost like horizontally, Slapped the ball out of Trubisky's hands. By some miracle, one of the first times ever, the Lions actually get a good bounce and a good break. And uh, John Penasini, rookie D-tackle out of Utah, falls on the ball. Lions recover at the seven-yard line. Run Adrian Peterson twice and score. Now, I was like, oh, well, of course we scored too quickly. Because now the Bears have plenty of time to come back but they need a touchdown because now they're down 4-34-30. Why? Because earlier in the game, same guy, Romeo Okora, blocked an extra point. Lions, by the way, have been great at blocking kicks this year. It's really weird. right? They had the two pump blocks in the game, and then they had that block. And I think they may have blocked another extra point too. So the Bears come down the field. They get to the 20-yard line, but there's only now like about 20 seconds left, maybe less. Throws a pass to Allen Robinson, very good receiver, the Bears' best receiver by far. He gets just he gets discombobulated, doesn't really doesn't realize where he is on the field, and goes out of bounds, about a yard short of the first down, rather than getting the first down. Now, there's no guarantee that even with the first down, the Bears are going to score a touchdown. If you're a Lions fan, you're obviously nervous and thinking they probably will, but they only had time probably for two plays, so they probably would have to take two shots at the end zone, which again. Doesn't mean the Lions would have made a stop, but it's not a guarantee. It's not like they would have been on the one-yard line. Um, And they were out of timeouts. In any event, 
That brings up a fourth down. Bears go to run the ball. Lions actually make a huge stop. Ball game, game set match. Great game. So much fun to watch. Um, you know, love beating the Bears. That made the Bears basically now five and seven. Now the irony is it's probably gonna cost Nagy his job. Um and so now that this is it'll be another team the Lions are competing against for probably a general manager. Ryan Pace is probably going to get fired, the Bears GM. Nagy almost certainly will get fired. So now the uh, the Lions have more another team to compete with because, look, the Jets are going to be looking for a new coach. Texans likely will be looking for a new coach. Chargers will be likely looking for a new coach. Um, Jacksonville will likely be looking for a new coach and a GM. The Bears now, you could throw them into the mix. The Falcons... I mean, we see this. We talk about this every year. There's five. It's five or six openings every single year in the NFL, right? Black Monday when all the coaches get fired, and there's going to be a bunch of GM jobs open too. It's it's going to be very competitive again. But I love beating the Bears. I love beating the Bears in heartbreaking fashion for the Bears and the Bears fans. Lions gifted the Bears a game in Week One. Bears kind of gifted the Lions this game. In week 13. Or week 12. So we'll take it. And it's great to see Stafford out there without his best wide receiver. And without his best running back. Throw for 400 yards. Three touchdowns. He had the one pick. One really his fault. Bad bad play. Screen to Jesse James. Although we did have a Jesse James sighting ladies and gentlemen. He finally caught a touchdown. Lions finally figured out that maybe a guy who's 6'7". Might be a, a good a good threat, a good piece to use down in the red zone, as he was covered but completely boxed out the defender because he's again six seven. Um, but Hawkinson played well. I know I'm always hard on him, and it's not him necessarily, right? It's just he's never going to live up to. He's never going to play to the level of being the eighth pick in the draft. I mean, and, and I guess I'm just going to have to get over that, and hope that he turns into a good player, and, and he is turning into a good player. Not great. But at least he's good. At least he's not going to be Eric Ebron bust level type. By the way, anybody anybody catch his act last night? We'll get to that in a little bit too. I'm telling you, the guy. I understand Pittsburgh was undefeated before last night, but that guy, man, whoo! So it was great watching Stafford play well. Always happy for him. But that defense has major problems. All right, let's move on. Let's go around the league. Let's get to the Giants. Talked about it earlier. Let off the show with it. 0-5. Looked like a disaster. Offensive line issues. Then they start to get... Barkley gets hurt. Daniel Jones can't hold on to the ball. They're in every game. They should have beat Tampa. They should have beat Philly the first time. Could have beaten Dallas. Played Pittsburgh toe-to-toe. Really, the only bad game the Giants really had was the only stinker was weirdly against a very undermanned San Francisco 49ers team. Other than that, Giants been in every game. And they've had injuries all over the place. They had the Golden Tate stuff where, you know, he got mad he wasn't getting the ball and then Joe Judge basically benched him for a game and Slayton's been hurt and Shepard's been hurt and Engram, you know, catch it, makes some great catches and drops some easy ones. Andrew Thomas, the left tackle, was looking like he could be a potential bust. 
Then they had the whole offensive line fiasco where Colombo, Mark Colombo, the offensive line coach, got fired because Joe Judge brought in one of his guys to be a quote-unquote consultant, and Colombo took issue with it and cursed out the coach, and so then they fired him. And meanwhile, the offensive line is starting to gel and playing really well. Thomas is playing much better lately. They beat the Seahawks in Seattle. I don't care there's no fans in the stands. I understand that that's obviously a major issue, right? I mean, having those fans there is a big reason why that's a home field. There's massive home field advantage there. But nevertheless, look, three weeks ago, everybody's talking about Russell Wilson's the MVP of the league, and he's a wonderful player. But there's the Seahawks at 8-3. and three. The Giants are 4-7, and seven, hadn't beaten a team with a winning record. They go on a road out to Seattle with Colt McCoy, a quarterback, who, by the way, I mean, he ain't great, but he's certainly a serviceable backup. He's not the worst. This is not David Blau. I mean, the guy can play. He's played. He's started games in the NFL. He's a perfectly suitable backup. And the Giants go in there, and their defense... And by the way, the Giants' defense... All those guys I talked about in the beginning of the year... Uh, O'Shane Jimenez, Lorenzo Carter, uh, Kyle Fackrell, Golden they traded back to Arizona. And who am I missing? I mean, I think I'm missing one other guy. They've lost all their top pass rushers. And meanwhile, that defense on Sunday was all over Russell Wilson. He had nowhere to go. Leonard Williams breakout... Sorry, Anthony. My buddy Anthony's a big Jets fan. Got on me because last week I said he's having a monster season and he's tried, he, he's just bitter, and I get it. I love him. He's a Jets fan who can't stand the sight of Leonard Williams playing great as a giant. And I, I, if I were him, I, I, I understand. I know the feeling. Two and a half sacks all over the place, harassing Russell, Russell Wilson all day. Dexter Lawrence playing well. Dalvin Tomlinson playing well. Jabal Sheard, who they just signed a few weeks ago. By the way, I don't know why this guy keeps bouncing around. The guy's always been a good pass rusher, whether it was for Cleveland or the Colts or the Patriots, now the Giants. The guy always can rush the passer. He's a good player. And then Carter Coughlin, rookie six-round pick from Minnesota, playing well. A guy who all he did was make plays in college, but because he's 6'3", 236, you know, was devalued. Meanwhile, he's playing great. Uh, Cam Brown from Penn State, the toolsy guy, he's starting to play well. You know, the guy the guy looks the part. He's just raw. Uh, and Blake Martinez, I got to say I was wrong on that one. You know, I thought he's one of these guys that makes a lot of tackles five and six yards down the field, and he kind of did with Green Bay. But the way they use him with the Giants, he's all over the place. The guy's played great. And Patrick Graham, the, the defensive coordinator, for the Giants is doing a hell of a job. And then meanwhile, sneaky good move by Gettleman getting Isaac Yadam from Denver at the trade deadline. Tall corner out of BC who, you know, didn't work out in Denver. And again, we talk about this all the time in the NFL. Corners, you know, it takes guys a while. Very rare guys step in right away year one and play great. I don't care how high they're drafted. But he's played well and it's James Bradbury. I mean, by the way, Mark Schlereth, uh, you played in the league for a long time or were a good player. Do, do you understand how the game is played? So there's a play where DK Metcalf, who, by the way, is a beast physically, right? You know, 6'4", 235, all muscle. Catches a pass over route. Runs 
tries to stiff arm Bradbury. Bradbury almost knocks the ball out. And he does, yeah, he, he kind of goes to, you know, he goes to hard stiff arm him and do like a, tra- you know, do like a Derrick Henry and like knock the guy off. Well, Bradbury will have none of it. Yes, he landed on his back, but he also made the tackle in the open field. And again, as I said, almost knocked the ball out. And Mark Schlereth is like, oh, look at, look at DK Metcalf. Arr, get off me. Well, he didn't get off him. He made a great tackle. And I understand James Bradbury, again, is not, you know, Darrell Revis in his prime, but, but that guy competes. And Jabril Peppers, all the tools he had coming out of Michigan, people didn't know where to play him. Is he a linebacker? Is he a safety? Whatever. Uh, Patrick Graham has unlocked the code. He is playing out of his mind. He's playing great. He's playing fast and free and loose, and he's playing great. That giant secondary which looked like it was going to be a major issue, is playing extremely well now. Uh, Julian Love as well, who, by the way, should have had a game-clinching interception, and I thought that was going to be the death knell because usually when that happens, good quarterbacks like Russell Wilson take advantage, but the Giants still managed to overcome it, and Bradbury made a great play late to bat that ball down at the end. Giants defense playing out of its mind. Offense did just enough. Wayne Gallman had the long run. Alfred Morris, of all people, with two touchdowns. Giants now 5-7. and seven. That was the first time an NFC East team had beaten a team with a winning record. Then the Washington football team plays Pittsburgh last night. Undefeated Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. And they win. Now they're 5-7. and seven. Now the Giants, by virtue of having beaten the Redskins twice own the tiebreaker. So they technically are in first place in the NFC East. The Eagles are done. They're 3-8-1. and one. Uh, They just benched Carson Wentz in favor of Jalen Hurts. And the Cowboys play tonight. If they lose, they'd be 3-9. and nine. Um, If they win, they'd be 4-8. and eight. So they'd still be a game behind. Um, it's the Giants' division to win for sure it's the Giants division to win and matter of fact let's take a look at the schedule for the Giants and the schedule for the Washington football team here down the stretch shall we I always like doing this this is always fun so there's four games left Giants have The Cardinals at home this week. Now, Cardinals were the darlings in the NFL just a few weeks ago. Kyler Murray was, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread. Let's get his bus ready for Canton because he made one great throw and a better catch by DeAndre Hopkins to beat the Bills on a last play. It's the Hail Murray. <laughs> get it? You know, see, this is what we'd like to do now in the NFL is we base everything on that week's performance. So if a guy plays well, he's great, and he's the next big, best thing. And if somebody plays poorly, then they're washed up or they're done or they're a bust. It's unbelievable. Nobody ever wants to let the body of work speak for itself anymore. Everything is a snap judgment based on week to week. It's absurd the way the league gets covered now. Absurd. So I'm not saying Kyler Murray is a bust, but can we pump the brakes, please, 
on his uh, induction into Canton. The guy's 5'9". He's going to struggle at times. Yes, he's a great athlete and he can throw the ball. Cardinals are also 0-3 since that game. And he's played terribly. Again, doesn't mean he can't bounce back and play better. I would expect him to. But boy, was everybody quick to put him in Canton after that one game. So ridiculous. All right. They get the Cardinals coming in. Cardinals, again, losers are three straight. Cardinals need this game in the worst way. I need the Giants to win this game to keep any hope of the Lions playoff hopes alive. That would make them 6-7 and seven if the Lions could somehow beat Green Bay this week. They'd be 6-7. and seven. The Lions have played the Cardinals and beaten them. So they got the Cardinals. Not an easy game at home. So the Cardinals got to travel, you know, cross country. It'll be likely be chilly. Let's see what the forecast is. I think it's going to be rainy. Not going to be awful, I don't think. Like 50s, but rainy. You would think... Yeah, 55 degrees. So not cold, but rainy. You would think that would favor the Giants. Jones might be back this week too, by the way. We'll see. So they got Cardinals at home, Browns at home. Browns just came off a beatdown of Tennessee. I know the, the score was close, but I mean, the, the Browns uh, Browns were up 38-7 in that game. Um, Browns now 9-3, and looking really good. But they're beatable, but it's a tough game. Then they're at the Ravens. That's going to be a tough game, assuming the Ravens can field the team. Obviously, they've had all the COVID issues. We'll see what happens there. And the Ravens, who once at one, once upon a time looked like a lock for the playoffs, are now fighting for their playoff lives. They need this game tonight against the Cowboys in the worst way to get to 7-5. and five. And then they host the Cowboys at home on January uh, 3rd, last game of the year. And... Look, if the Cowboys are even 3 and whatever by then, 3 and 12, they'll want to win that game if it means knocking the Giants out. So that won't be an easy game, I don't think. I don't think so. I mean, look, unless Dalton is hurt by then or the, the for some reason Jerry Jones decides not to play him because Jerry Jones makes his decisions by the way. I, I know Mike McCarthy's the head coach, but whatever Jerry says goes. So um and I, I would doubt that they, again, that the, I would think the Cowboys would do everything in their power to try to, to, to knock the Giants out of it. So they've got four games left. I'm going to say 8-8 eight and eight gets you in. 8-8 eight eight should seal the deal. And again, they own the tiebreaker against the Redskins. So 7-9 and nine very well could do it. So 2-2 two and two gets you to 7-9. and nine. The Giants can definitely win two of these last four games. You know, conventional wisdom says... The Cardinals and the Cowboys games, right? Because they're both home and those teams have the worst records of the four. But, um, again, I'd be very wary of this Cardinals team. They're they're coming in, you know, they need this game in the worst way. So we'll see. But that defense plays against Kyler Murray the way he played against Russell Wilson. I mean, Kyler Murray right now is sort of a, you know, a younger not quite as accomplished, not nearly as accomplished version of Russell Wilson. So, and the Giants just showed the league the blueprint how to play him. So that'll be interesting. All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give the Giants two two and two at, at a minimum here. I'm gonna say they beat the Cowboys. 
I'm going to say they beat the Cardinals. I'm going to say they find a way to beat the Cardinals. And then I think they split between the Browns and the Ravens, too. I think they're going to go 3-1. I think they're going to go 8-8. Eight eight. But it, let's say worst-case scenario, they go 7-9. and nine. Take a look at the Redskins schedule. Sorry, geez. I was so good before. The Washington football team schedule. You'll have to forgive me. It's been, you know, 50 years calling them by one thing, 40 years calling them one thing, and now it's another. So I don't mean any disrespect. All right. The Washington football team at San Francisco. San Francisco just got waxed by Buffalo last night. Again, San Francisco, major injuries all over the place. Um, definitely a winnable game for Washington, but San Francisco always gives you an honest effort. I mean, they, they played hard last night. They just they just don't have the horses, and the Bills are playing great right now. Josh Allen's playing great. Um, so tough game for, the, for for Washington there, but but winnable. Home against the Seahawks, tough game but winnable. Home against the Panthers, definitely winnable. Ron Rivera's old team. And then at the Eagles, certainly winnable. But I could see two losses in there too. So assuming they go 2-2 two and two and the Giants go 2-2, two and two, Giants are going to win the division 7-9. and nine. And I'll tell you what. I might not want to play the Giants. They're going to be tough out. And by the way, Washington would be a tough out too because that defense is playing phenomenally well. I think I talked about it on last week's show. That front four now with Sweat and Jonathan Allen and Payne, the two Alabama boys in the middle, and Chase Young on the outside, who, by the way, he's got incredible physical gifts. He made a couple of, you know, eye-popping plays last night, he's still learning how to play. And and once, if and when he actually becomes a physical player, he's going to be a real problem. Now, I don't know if he wants to become a physical player because he does a lot of tiptoeing around blocks out there, a lot of pirouetting around. But boy, is he talented. And Montez Sweat on the other side, I mean, he had that ridiculously athletic play against the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. And then he made another one last night to seal the game where he jumped about nine feet in the air and batted down a Roethlisberger pass that ended up as an interception. Um, and then again, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne in the middle. They still have Ryan Kerrigan. Uh, Ryan Anderson, when he plays, another Alabama guy is good. Ioannidis, I think, is hurt. Guy from Temple is a good player. I mean, they, they've got a great front, the, Reds, the Washington football team does. Secondary, mm, they played pretty well last night. Problem with the Steelers is they can't run the ball at all. Now, I'm not one of these believe guys that thinks it's like the old days. But, I mean, right now they're missing Connor. Again, the Washington football team's defense tough to run against. That front's really run, tough to run against. And you know what? Their linebackers are playing well. John Bosick's playing well. By the way, former Lion. Lions had him briefly. He's better than any linebacker the Lions have, that's for sure. Um, but that that defense is really good. And offensively, look, they lost Gibson, the running back, last night. It was turf toe. That could be tricky. Uh, you know, McKissick is a good pass catcher. He doesn't give you much as a runner. I know this. He was a Lion. Uh, Terry McLaurin, really good. They don't have much else at the receiver. I mean, I know I know Sims made a great catch last night. They don't really give you, you know. Actually, Logan Thomas, another former line. By the way, last night was former lines galore, by the way. Yeah, Logan Thomas at tight end. 
uh, who's former college quarterback at Virginia Tech, who, who's a great athlete and has the NFL body of a tight end. He's 6'6", like 250, 260. Uh, starting to blossom and really turn into a legit tight end. He had a great game last night, best game of his career. Um, you know, Alex Smith is Alex Smith now. I mean, he's a good, heady, smart veteran quarterback, um, you know, who doesn't have a rocket arm. Again, Redskins, uh, Washington football team don't have a ton of, of weapons, really, uh, as far as receivers are concerned. But they'd be a tough out just because of that defense. You saw it last night. Now, Pittsburgh had what they wanted. Everybody made a big deal about how on fourth and one, they threw a ball to third string running back Anthony McFarlane, one of my guys, by the way, from Maryland. Um, they had the play. Bossa came running out late. I didn't think, you know, McFarlane could have run a little bit of a better route, but he was open. Roethlisberger made a bad throw. Everyone's trying, trying to make a bat, back shoulder throw. Went and... A better throw. That's that. It's, it's easy. It's an easy first down, if not a touchdown. So, um, and and again, it's one game. It's, you know, Steelers lost one game. They're ten and one. They're gonna be fine. You know, I understand they don't look great against a, a, a depleted and Ravens team the week before, but you can't make any judgments on week to week in the, in the NFL, particularly this year. Talked about Cleveland doing a number on Tennessee. Mayfield played great. But again, you know, three weeks ago, I, all I heard was how he's been a massive disappointment. So, you know, Buffalo looks legit. That defense is really good. They have a good secondary, good linebackers, good D-line. Allen played great last night. You had Stephon Diggs throwing a block for Dawson Knox on a tight end screen down by the goal line. He had 10 catches for 95 yards. Um, problem with the Bills, I don't, you know, they can they run it enough to be successful when they get in a real bad cold weather game, which will likely happen somewhere along the line? Can they keep up? with Kansas City if they go to Kansas City late in the year. Um, you know, listen, Cole Beasley, former Cowboys, been great. He had a monster night last night. Stephon Diggs, still one of the best receivers in the league. Dawson Knox starting to emerge as a pass-catching tight end for them. O-line played really well. Again, let's be fair, Niners defense is severely banged up. I mean, they got a couple guys. Fred Warner was back last night, but I mean, they've got, you know, all kinds of guys on that D line. Solly Thomas is out. Bose is out. Um, you know, they did get Sherman back. Jaquiski Tart's out. They do have Jimmy Ward. I mean, it's not terrible. And Robert Solid, D coordinator there, is very good. But, um, and they just they ran into a little bit of a buzzsaw last night. Plus, they had to play in Arizona. Right, because of COVID, because they can't play in the state of California, and that's a great place to play. You know, it's a dome stadium, Arizona. It's offensive teams delight. So, I I think Buffalo's a good team. I, they're not getting past the Chiefs. Not getting past the Chiefs.
All right. That's going to do it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, peace out.